Ah, welcome. Sarah Gilmartin is across from me. And, uh, well, there, there's been a glut of kind of restaurant and chefing uh, themed stories in pop culture of late, like The Menu, uh, which was a movie with Ray Fiennes and you had the bear on the screen. And now we've the Irish entry. It's a new novel by Sarah Gilmartin. Good morning to you, Sarah. Morning, Oliver. And congratulations on the service. Thank you. Uh, it's great, great crack. And as... Um, well, with food and fine dining are only the sideshow here. It's all about power, isn't it? In the uh, yeah, so it, it's set, as you said, it's set in a, in a fine dining high end restaurant in Dublin um, over two timelines, kind of at the height of the Celtic Tiger and then 10 years later. But it is really a story about the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks at that subject um, from three different perspectives. So from um, the perspective of a waitress, Hannah, uh, who works there the summer, she's 21. Uh, the perspective of the chef who runs the restaurant, two Michelin starred chefs. Daniel Costello and then the perspective um, of his wife Julie all focused in or around that kind of topic Great and fascinating characters and I want to come back to the story but I want to find out a little bit about you first of all Sarah because this isn't your your first rodeo it's not your first novel No uh, where you, You're from Limerick originally are you? From Limerick originally mm. uh, from Lisnagry and then I went to college Where's that? Is that it, County Limerick? Uh, it, it's kind of it's on the Dublin Road so it's a couple of minutes oh, yes. away from Castle Troy kind of UL area so Oh I it's, see yes, it's that yes. side. Um, so yeah, I grew That's up fancy there. Limerick. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's to okay. um, So yeah, I grew up there and then I went to college in Dublin. I did English in Trinity yes. and German. And then I did a master's in journalism. And kind of from there I got into, like I always knew I wanted to write, hmm. but I kind of got sidetracked by journalism for a good few years. So you don't consider journalism writing? I do, but it's a different type of writing. True, true. Definitely. Please. I mean, you can't make things up for one thing. You get, <laughs> well, you get in a lot of trouble. Some, some people do. Um, so, yeah, I did. Um, I was a business journalist for a while and then I the recession hit and I went travelling. And when I came back, I knew I wanted to get back into more arts journalism. So I started to work as a freelancer reviewing books for the Irish Times. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been doing that um, for the last 10 or 12 years. And from there, because I was starting to read a lot, of books I, um, I I knew that I wanted to write myself This so. was the world you wanted to dabble in Yes uh, Before I leave the critic thing is, is it hard being an Irish critic particularly when you've got an Irish novel to review because we're in a small world It is a very small world the Irish literary community and I have to say my first novel Dinner Party came out in 2021 and yes. before that came out I was um, kind of daunted by the whole idea that you know if I published a book and it was rubbish not only might I not publish another book again but I might also you know lose my day job <laughs> which you know wouldn't be ideal yeah. um, and I think I suppose a lot of that pressure was probably just coming from inside my own head mm. um, though my boss in the Irish Times he did he read a proof of dinner party about six months before it came out and he sent me an email going oh, the relief exclamation mark uh, that he enjoyed <laughs> okay, it or that it was good He didn't um, have to pretend No and he's not a man <laughs> given to exclamation marks he's an old school journalist ah. so um, yeah I think he actually genuinely was very and the, relieved And that was a good success but not that long ago dinner party No uh, yeah it was It was two years ago so it came out during Jeez. Covid um, so everything was very different uh, there were no launches there was no literary festivals or anything I like see. that so it was much quieter You didn't so get it, to celebrate your first uh, Well I went for a dinner with my husband outside and kind of uh, oh a, a, like an alley off Baggett Street. Oh, you don't remind us. In October and it was freezing and it was great fun at the same time. But this in a way service kind of feels like another type of first novel because um, I've gotten to do the the things that you generally get to do with it. So that's been lovely kind of going around to literary festivals. Uh, I was in Listowel, I was in Belfast and Dawkey uh, all in June and it was great to meet readers because the thing with services I found just from chatting to readers that so many people have worked in the service industry, you know, yeah. either through college or, you know, 
on their way up in their 20s or, or whatever, or, you know, to supplement other jobs that they might do if they work freelance. Um, so uh, people have a lot of stories about it. It's a, very, it's a memorable thing to do, even if for a short period, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Working in the service industry. What, uh, what sort of vibe do you get from everybody you speak to who worked in? Um, there's there's a, actually a good few uh, women who have come up to me who said they remember their times and that the book is quite reflective of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of women who are saying uh, that, you know, their daughters who now work in the service industry, those kind of things are still going on. But, you know, we've we talked about the fun aspect of it as well um, because there there is an element of it that's that's really good fun. Yeah, and the book starts off very well with all, with all the crack that people are having because it's the Celtic Tiger and we, mm-hmm. we're kind of slightly afraid to say, you know, looking back on it now, that when we're in the middle of it, it was there was kind of good crack and there was a sense of hope, wasn't there? Yeah. Now, I was I got about a year and a half the Celtic Tiger, so I kind of came out and I got like the tail end of it before things kind of fell apart. Right. Um, so it was all very exciting because I was just kind of out of college. I was earning money for the first time in my life, um, proper money. Yeah. And so was the country. You know, we had money. Ireland had money for the first time in its life. That's what it felt like. You know, everyone was throwing it around and... I think as a writer, when I was looking to set this story about the abuse of power, about individuals, um, that kind of personal story, I wanted kind of a bigger, wider political backdrop to set it against. And to me, the Celtic Tiger was just perfect because it was a time of great excess, great opportunity, possibility, fun, money, all of that. But in retrospect, it wasn't really a very safe time to do business. And we've all been collectively paying for that for the last 15 years and counting. It was like the zenith of male greed (laughs) because obviously it's, you know, 2007, those naughties, it is men dominating all of of the industries and it's... uh, you know, banking, building everything, you think the political establishment. Yeah, I mean, I think... I've never seen anyone draw the line between 2007, which is kind of the last year we had of Celtic Tiger, Mm -hmm. and exactly 10 years later is the Me Too movement, the the new feminist wave, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it it worked first of all for the purposes of the novel to Mm -hmm. have two different timelines, so you could kind of switch back and forth between the past and the present. And it it just so happened that, you know, that 10-year period, which is a good kind of timeframe to do that within, happened to be those two timeframes. So with the later timeline in service, I wanted to set it um, just before Me Too took off. So it's kind of at the start of 2017. So Daniel, um, who's the chef character in the book, he says it at one point. He's like, oh, you know, that Me Too nonsense won't catch on over here. It's American nonsense, you know, yeah, not th- here. Among, that was a feeling at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, among ordinary, decent people. You know, <laughs> we, we don't need that over here. So there was that kind of nice um, kind of balance or contrast between the two areas. So it's obviously it's a work of fiction, but he's a he's a famous chef. Yes. And a huge personality. Absolutely. This character. Okay. Um, yeah. So for me, I wanted to have multiple perspectives in this book because I think the subject lent itself well um, to have a kind of a level of nuance with different views on it. So there's Hannah, the waitress, Julie, the chef's wife, and then Daniel, as you said. For me, the story didn't really feel complete unless I had his perspective. Um, he was quite an interesting character to write. Um, I found him quite compelling. I wanted to get inside his head. Mm. I'm interested in general in like how people operate, especially when they're under pressure or in trouble, um, how they might operate when they don't think people are watching. So mm. I was very interested in trying to get into that mindset. And, you know, he's at a stage in his life, he's in his late 50s at the moment or in the in the second time frame of the novel. Yeah. And there's a lot of kind of ego and vanity about him. Mm. He's revered, he's admired. Um, and there's kind of a false sense of humility about that as well that I find quite entertaining to write. You know, he kind of goes around and he's like, I'm a man of the people like you or me. If you open my presses at home, I just have ketchup or mayonnaise. Um, but really, you know, he doesn't really believe that at all. It's yeah. just kind of his shtick. But you give good context because his background is, is working class mm-hmm. and he pulls himself up 
yeah. uh, from nowhere, really, doesn't he? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of kind of admirable traits about him as well. Like he goes into the industry at 15 and mm. he kind of works his way up from like, you know, cleaning out the bins, peeling potatoes, right up to the level that he's at now, which is to own his own restaurant and have two Michelin stars. Isn't it amazing that the sort of old world um, misogyny was a woman's places in the kitchen mm-hmm. but the, the most vaunted people from the kitchen tended to be kind of male uh, celebrity chefs yeah. who were allowed to kind of talk about anything from how the country's run to uh, how people eat and what they order at restaurants. There was a period wasn't around the Celtic Tiger where they were just in the news all the time. Yeah, it seemed to be an awful lot, particularly in the service industry you know, that the focus was on kind of male celebrity chefs. I think yeah. that's changing now. Um, yeah. My understanding is even the way that restaurants are run is changing a little bit. You know, there are more women in the kitchen there are more women at the top and also that kind of hierarchical structure that we see in restaurants because you know there's it's almost military um, because there's such an intense environment it needs to be run in that kind of hierarchical yeah, way yeah. I think that just anecdotally from hearing people talk I think that's kind of changed a little bit in the restaurant industry And so the other character then is Hannah who's at the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. she's a young woman coming yeah. in to do the summer job basically Yeah she's at and sorry about the pun but it's actually quite hard to talk about this book without getting by <laughs> Food funds in, which is yeah, yeah. she's at the bottom of the food chain. Okay, right. you know, um, so yeah, he's at the top, she's at the bottom, yeah. um, and mo- the way the hierarchy r- uh, works in tea, which is the restaurant in the book, is that a lovely mo- obnoxious name. Just, just the just, just tea, just yeah, tea. Yeah, yeah. the rest <laughs> of it's redacted. Um, is that you? Know, most of the men are at the top. Um, all of the chefs are male. The managers male. The bartenders are well, and then the waitresses mm-hmm. tend to be female. And even within the waitresses group themselves, there's a kind of hierarchy. There's the head waitress male, and then there's Hannah who kind of comes in at you know, the the very end, um, last one in the door, basically. So she's learning. And for the reader, she's the guide through the restaurant world. So I did that quite deliberately. I wanted the reader to see it through her eyes because she's just overawed and so excited um, by this world. And it's a very compelling world to her. You know, it's colourful and sensual and there's a lot going on that she wouldn't have seen before. Uh, did you work in in this trade yourself? Is yeah, that okay. yeah, I did. Now it has to be said, never in Dublin, just oh, for right. libel yeah, yeah. reasons, apart from anything else. <laughs> okay. um, I worked for many years uh, during college and during my twenties. Um, a lot of it in Europe or or America. Um, so I know the world. I know the kind of ins and outs, the it's good kind of and the, the same, bad. No matter where it is, isn't I it? I think so. Yeah. It, well, it's. I think sometimes it depends on the level of restaurant you go in. Like I've worked in cafes, and it's it's much less intense and it's much yes. different. It's a lower pace, and it's you get to chat to the customers a little bit more rather than perform for them. And I think there is that element of performance when it comes to high end dining. And yes. that can make the restaurant very fun because, you know, it's almost like a show. It has that buzz mm. of performance. Um, you know, tables are literally set and reset, uh, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. Things get cleared away. Plates get thrown, uh, you know, into, into the dishwasher and everything kind of starts again. So you can reset your mistakes. Hannah says it in the book, you can reset your life if you want to just go back in the next day. Every day. Uh, did you live in the or did you work in the intense part of it? Uh, yeah, I did. Absolutely. Okay. And I, like I find that to be a lot of fun at times. Um, there's kind of an adrenaline, a buzz to it. Um, yes. And I guess also kind of a sense of achievement in a way, you know, you've gotten all your when you're working at this kind of heightened 
sense. You've gotten all the all, all the all the tickets are done, all the customers have been served. And at the end of the night, you know, you can count your efforts in in, in tips and kind of hard cash, yeah. which is how it used to be done in, in America anyway. Because you're you're not being paid very much, but you you feel part of this huge, um, important feeling regime. Yeah. <laughs> and quite often uh, in America, you wouldn't be paid anything at all. The wage, you wouldn't be getting a wage. Just so you're, you're working for your tips. Um, so, yeah, there is that kind of sense of you're you're doing something or, or you're doing well if you if you can see it at the end of the night. But also there's a, I guess, a more negative side of that kind of stressful high-end mm. environment um, is that, you know, if things go wrong, um, people can get treated very badly. And, you know, that can just be stuff that, you know, like the wrong plate goes to the wrong table and it's, you know, blown up to gargantuan proportions. Yeah, the end or, of the world. Or as we see in the book, you know, th- things go wrong in another kind of way with the after parties and all of that kind of stuff that goes on at the restaurant um, mm. after hours when the customers go home. Do you think that's all over? Because of the pressure in the kitchen, there's obviously things thrown at people if they mm-hmm. make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's the, the drink involved after hours. And that's when things take a very serious turn in the book. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where we come into this Me Too era. Uh, but did, did you witness the kind of bad doings uh, in in your period of working in the Well, I definitely saw a plate of spinach go flying past my head one day and make right. a fine, nice green splat against a wall. But it didn't actually hit me or um, <laughs> or any of the other waiters who were in the kitchen. And you sort of think, oh, that was grand because it didn't hit me. Yeah, you kind of are. And then you kind of normalise it. At yeah. The time. And then there's four more plates to bring to the next table and you're gone and you're back in and you're whatever and at the end of the shift you know somebody apologises or maybe they don't depending on you know uh, on on who it was who threw the plate Do you kind of think back all these years later and go that was insane people shouldn't be behaving like Yeah I mean there's an element to that and also I think there's an element with you know I would have been in my early 20s I think maybe even 19 at the time so you know you can see things that don't look right or do, don't seem right but I, I certainly didn't have the language for it at the time so like I knew yes. it in my head yeah. didn't have the language and I didn't have the time to think about it because you're on to the next thing but certainly in retrospect you can kind of go oh no look that 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 was a bit of a mad reaction you know to whatever perceived mistake was going on yeah. at the time you know? but, but screaming and roaring abuse is kind of treated as normal wasn't it and that yeah, and sometimes it could be very, like sometimes it could be funny, you know, the stuff that will come out oh, or the, yeah, the stuff yes, that you okay. would hear. Um, but there is that kind of sense of energy needed or adrenaline needed in mm. the kitchen. And I understand it to, to some extent um, to keep things going, because if things do go wrong, you know, it's not really the waitress that gets blamed on the outside. You know, if, if a critic is not served properly, it's the chef's name that is, um, you know, the one that people are going to remember or they are ultimately the one held responsible mm. for things. Why is this the only trade where that kind of behaviour is, is acceptable? Because there are other worlds you can, you can assume that need to move things along and have adrenaline, but it doesn't seem like any other industry really accepts the screaming and roaring is it something to do with the heat is it something to do with maybe the heat maybe just the fast pace of it um, mm. maybe also just the fact that it's so transient you know that idea that like you know people are in and out everything kind of gets as I said earlier everything kind of gets reset and reset again so things get forgotten very yeah. quickly um, and I don't think you get that necessarily in other industries So um, only give away as much as you want to <laughs> about what happens because we're having great fun for a good section of the novel and we're getting to know everybody yeah. and then we go into the into the 2017 era mm-hmm. and, and what's going on then what's happened 
Um, so basically, there's been an allegation of sexual assault against the chef in 2017. The and big a, celebrity. The big celebrity. And it's come out on social media. And that's kind of how we see about it in, in the book. But it, it's going to court. Hmm. And because of that, Hannah kind of remembers her experiences 10 years earlier. And she kind of has to come to her own um, she's kind of got to go back into that time where she's tried to leave behind her and um, kind of reconcile it or, or try to f- come to another, um, really to try and see if she's going to help the person, the the person in 2017 who has made yeah. the allegations, I suppose. And, and for her, it was just a summer, but now suddenly it's all come back into a kind of a defining moment for her, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of reflective a little bit um, or can be reflective of trauma or how trauma works. You know, that you think you're getting on with your life and then every so often you're just kind of shunted back to the past, almost like you're on a treadmill and you don't really realise it. Um, So I wanted that very much to come across in the book. But you also do something very smart about you you make us kind of question our own judgment uh, Mm -hmm. on, on the chef himself and also the nature of how things emerge in social media and where they go. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely, as a writer, I'm kind of drawn to grey areas. I don't particularly like, you know, black or white or as a reader, I don't love being told, you know, what to do. Um, I like to make up my own mind. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do with service. So you see the three different perspectives. They're split equally in terms of chapters, structure, word count, all of that kind of thing. Um, so that the reader can kind of get inside the heads of the characters and see how they think and see how they operate and maybe see how things come about themselves. So it's very much that they'd make their own mind up. In it's it. a clever, it's a clever place to, to dwell in. Do you look at uh, when you go into a restaurant yourself as a customer? Do you, <laughs> <laughs> do you experience things a little bit differently now, having gone through the experience of writing this book? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm a good few years since I've waitressed now, um, but when back in that time, particularly, um, you know, I would especially come back to Ireland and it would have been before the time that, you know, tipping would have been what it is now. Yeah. I used to always thank the Celtic Tiger as well. be trying to tip everyone 20 <laughs> percent. And my dad and uh, various people would be like, what are you doing? This is not America. Um, so you do you like when you when you work in service, you 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 see the human beings more than I think necessarily other people do. And that's one thing that kind of comes across in the book with like the moneyed world of it of um, and I guess a lot of the clientele are men. So there's a, you know, businessmen, politicians, yeah, that kind of yeah. thing, particularly in 2007, um, that there's a line in the book where like one of the car or the waitress kind of points out that the person at the table is more concerned about the origin of the chicken than they are about the person who's literally standing in front of them yes. serving them the chicken, you know. And that's mad. The you person, know? It is mad, isn't I it? I think that's just kind of mad. But it is a kind of a strange theatre and uh, you're almost mm-hmm. supposed to blank out the people serving yeah, you. Yeah, th- that almost that you're, you're, they're, you're invisible. But sometimes you know? if you have a chat with the person serving you, you're nearly holding them back and <laughs> slightly good, trying to leave yeah, the table. Yeah, you can kind of see the panic y- in their eyes. You have eyes. to find the balance. Yeah. Uh, now, you're, you're a critic, obviously, of novels yourself. What's it like being on the other end on the receiving end of uh, reviews? Uh, it can be tough. And again, going back to that, especially with the first novel, I found it very mm. daunting just to see. Um, thankfully, uh, they were overwhelmingly positive. I did get one kind of negative review, but I had... Um, I'd had <laughs> it's the one you remember. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Imprinted in my head. <laughs> um, but I, I'd, it wasn't the first one. So the first two I got were positive. So thankfully, it was I think it was about three or four. So I was able to just kind of you know take it on the chin you know it does it does sting for a couple of days um, but I think the best thing you can do as a writer is just right try and metabolise it in any way you can 
put it behind you and just get on with it. Because if you dwell on it, you're it's I think it's detrimental to your own practice as a writer as well, if you can't move on from those things. And also kind of to remember that it is just one person's opinion. And yeah. particularly if you're getting other reviews that are saying, you know, positive things, maybe the reviewer is wrong and just kind of put it behind you. Should, should the balance be that you should treat both uh, the good and the bad reviews kind of equally going, don't let them big you up too much. Yeah, completely. And also don't let them slap you down too far. Yeah, but <laughs> I there's think... A, there's I, a science in the balance. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's maybe human nature to, well, certainly it is for me to kind of focus in on the bad one and, and, and remember that one instead of, you know, the when somebody says something good, you know, that's gone. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. When you have the book out, so Sarah, uh, Sarah Gilmartin is, uh, is, is good crack. So thank you very much and, and congratulations on the book. Do you already start working on the next thing the, the, while this is out? Have you already done that? Uh, yeah, I've started. Um, it's a it's a novel about uh, two couples and their messy interpersonal relationships. Oh, so you like going into these kind of uh, <laughs> messy marriages and relationships and so from dinner party to this. Sarah Gilmartin, congratulations and the best of luck. Thank you very much. And we'll be 51551. That's a text back after these. 